New on CuriosityStream, uncover engineering secrets from history's greatest masters. From the mysteries of the first man-made waterways to the building techniques of the early Americas, it's ancient engineering. Plus, 40 tons of trucks speeding down the interstate can be a recipe for disaster. See how today's smarter new age big rigs pave the way for safer highways on high-tech trucks. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. All right. They're lucky to have you. Yes, they are. Speaking of lucky to have, holy, we are lucky to have Mr. Foch again today. And he's right here on time. And I think he's on a tight schedule. So, aren't we always? Well, even tighter than normal. So, okay. That's okay. We're going we're gonna to whip through some real estate with Mr. Foch and real get estate? on with things. Who wants to talk about that stuff? Jeez, yeah. nobody. Good hey. morning. Good morning, Foch. Missed. Right. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no complaints. Busy day. Great. Uh, just crazy right now. But uh, but yeah, it's all good. What do you You're got on right. the go? You got to go uh, meet some clients after. You got uh, showings listings. Yeah, I gotta I gotta go um, get some staging furniture for a, a client from a shipping container that we have uh, in storage, and then uh, like I just have to let him in, and then. Uh, yeah, just I don't know. The market's nuts right now, and it's kind of like it feels like it's in a bit of a lull period. So, um, well, a couple of things that we have like showing volumes dropped off probably like fifty percent in the past two weeks. I would say like it, so across the board. Uh, yep. Yeah, like, are you feeling that too? Are you feeling yeah, like that too? There's one listing that it's crazy, but like everything yeah. else, like broker base stats 15, are way down. Everything would that be like um, massively underpriced? Like, is it is that one? A little bit of that. Also, four bedroom detached two story home in Mississauga. Yeah. It's like a family home, no renovations. It's what people right. are looking for. Yeah, but to me, it seems like those are the ones. What's the price are, point? One two. Yeah, that that's the market that's still strong right now. Interestingly, like the the below one million, I feel like is just hit like full buyer fatigue. Like people are just fed up with the product, right? Like most of the stuff that I sell is is would be like kind of your price floor stuff because it it's it was originally picked up as like development investment product. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like there's like it's a very very noticeable decline in showings in the past past week. So, but what are we seeing? Are we seeing people that are just giving up because they're they're just so goddamn frustrated? It's listen. If you're trying to buy under a million, I can't even imagine the competition that you must have right uh, now. It well, it was like that. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, but I, I think that the competition got so out of hand that basically people are like, "There's no good product under a million bucks now." Like it's like you might you might as well. I don't know what they're doing. They might just be giving up completely. They might be changing, you know, markets. They, I, I don't know, but it just it, it may not like stay that. under a million. That's their concern. It's exactly. Yeah, they're not hopeful. Well, yeah. people also, must not. Opened up. People right. must not trust pricing. Like people no, must like. What is this shit? What what, yeah, what yeah. is what is the price? Right. Yeah. yeah. And people, and I think a lot of people just feel like their time's being wasted. Right. Like if they, they, and they're just fed up. Right. Like Waste I have buyers. Time. Who, you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Then there's buyers who like, they'll literally, you know, they'll go out and put out offers. They're putting out strong offers, right? Like they're going in like 100, 250 K over asking and they're getting blown out by another 150 or 200 K. Right? I, I lost by $500,000 in Pickering two weeks ago and right. we were 200,000 over asking. <laughs> Right. So, but hold on a sec. Tell me, guys, what does a reduction in showings look like? Like, how how many? Because it was ridiculous before. Like, compared to, I don't even know what market to compare to, but like a normal market, where where what does it look like right now? Yes, I I think you've gone from uh, probably like your seventy to one hundred showings, which would you know result in like twenty to thirty offers. Is that in a week? Yeah, like it typically, you know, I think most people are holding off offers probably for a week. Um, so I think you're going from that to or maybe you could even say 50 to 70. And that's going to that's going to add or that's going to get you like your 20, you know, 15 to 20 offers. I think you've dropped to, you know, like 25 to to 30 kind of show 20 to 30 showings and and, you know, 
five to 10 offers. And it could just be like, we, I saw pauses like this, like numerous times last year. And every time it happened, I was like, this is it. The market's yeah, 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 yeah. It happened like right <laughs> after. Yeah. Right after I bought my house, I felt like the market died for a couple of weeks. Remember right. that TK? And I was like, TK, no, you, what you were actually in one of the slower times. So March was the big month last year. And April was also kind of like a, a, a residual month. And then the May, June kind of going into, into summer, we were like always looking back at the mar- March. We'll never see again. That was March. And then September came and <laughs> it was just yeah. blew it out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in so, January, like, I, I don't even know if like the, if, if the, spring market got fully front loaded into January this year. Like, mm. you know, February, yeah, there's been some strength, but like the only thing that you're seeing 40, 50 offers is stuff that's massively underpriced, right? Right. So like, but, but, but most of those offers must be under value also. Like how can, how can right. they all be in the right ballpark? They um, are. There's like, yeah, there's, there's tons of hopefuls lining yeah. up you know, that are putting in those like, oh, we have to give it a try because they've seen like the odd property sell at 110% of asking, right? So yeah, like, maybe oh. we'll get lucky. And yeah. so agents like listing agents are literally just leveraging those people to increase the bids of everybody else, right? And then you get the yeah. one guy who throws the Hail Mary because there's 40 other offers and their agent told them they have to pay, you know, 10 grand per uh, per offer. And then like, <laughs> got okay, the calculator out. Yeah, there we go, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh my it's, God. it's, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, I think the opening up of the restaurants and gyms that affected people, buyer fatigue affected people scaring, like the interest rates going up, people are scared of, uh, you know, just overall sort of like concern about the market. I think a lot of speculators, that's why we're seeing the difference between the renovated houses still getting a lot of activity and the ones that need a lot of work, those speculator guys who want to flip houses and we're just throwing in bids that were never going to be accepted. I think all of those guys left the market. They were you just have like, to Whoa, be wait a crazy second. Crazy to this do isn't that a market now. to make money in. And all, like, that's a huge chunk of those offers, probably 25% yeah. of offers left because yeah. they said, I can't make a profit. Yeah. I think there's like a, it's an interesting political like macro as well, right? Like you got the trucker stuff going on, you got all the global macro stuff going on, you got talk about reopening. Like, I just think that, you know, it's the same thing as like when an election happens, right? Like when the snap election happened, that was like, okay, people just kind of pause and they want to figure out what the hell's going on. When Trump was like running or when the, when the U S election was like that, you know, like the couple of weeks there, maybe even a month period where things could change drastically um that's kind of like where i think russia ukraine yeah exactly there's so much stuff going on right and and i think a lot of people are talking about and you know like even the sorry i got got my dogs decided to play right during the middle of this but uh, all good but yeah it, it feels like they're there's so much that could change that people are just trying to wait to see some of those variables get ironed out before they proceed right yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're nervous, There's... right? People are nervous, and and the buy the people who are out there right now are desperate. They're making yeah. those offers. They need yeah, to buy. Maybe they've already sold. Maybe they have an interest rate. Like, I mean, the thing is, the capital cost isn't going to go up that much if like the Fed increases by twenty five bits, right? Like, it's like forty bucks on your mortgage that people don't like. But everybody's yeah. rushing in, like they're going to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in buying power. It's like, no, yeah, you've already been stress bad. tested at five percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact is it could go up like, okay, so what's your interest rate? It goes up 1% and you got a million dollar mortgage. It's so not the interest 10. rate that people are worried about. It's the runaway oh, it is. pricing. People, are, people it's talk like, about that too. Ten, so the they're, they're, worried, next- they're worried about that extra interest rate and they're thinking, I got to, I, my, my, my 90 days is coming up and I got to buy, but even the worst right. case scenario is still not worth overpaying 50 or a hundred grand on a house. Right. Right. Just to get yeah, it. That- I've interviewed so many people where it's like, have you done the math on what the increase, what, like how much your buying power would decrease, which it actually won't because you're stress tested. Like until rates get to 5%, you're not, you're not losing any buying power. Okay. So let's like, you know, you can take that one in, but then the next piece is, have you actually done the, like, if let's say you pay 10 or $20,000 more than you're comfortable with to get this, the privilege of owning this house. And it saves you from having to wait till a month or your pre-approval expires and you have to renew at a higher rate. Um, did you even save any money? And most people don't know the answer to that question, right? So I think this is the one, and this is like one of the big discussions. It's the discussion that we're going to be having this week on, on the, the Twitter space, which is, is, is it investors who are responsible for the exuberance in the market right now? Or is it first-time home buyers? And I, or not even first-time home buyers, but end users. I would say, honestly, that you're seeing more and more end users who have inexperienced realtors 
right? Like a lot of millennials in the, sorry, give me a second. I think he's totally right though. That's what I voted for on the investors your, uh, aren't on paying five hundred thousand over asking, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, I think I think investors are the ones like they have experienced agents. They they care about yield. They care about the value of the property. They're more risk averse, I would say, than end users who have a qualitative benefit to owning a home, right? If, if you're if you're buying your dream home, it doesn't matter as much if you're overpaying by hundred or two hundred k, right? Because you're in love with it, right? Or you should be at least if you're if you're throwing that kind of offer out. You can't be in love with it now because your your dream home isn't available. And if you don't take the one you just walked into, you don't know when the next one's coming that you, you might make an offer kind on, of on like, everyone. You, 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 make, you make an, an offer, offer on, on everyone you see. That's that's like the, the level <laughs> of scrutiny that buyers have right now for the the property they're going to buy. Is yeah, at roof, low. check, windows. <laughs> they, just, they walk uh, in there's like, good enough. Yep. That's got a couple bedrooms in it. Let me Floor. let me make the offer on this one. Like it's it's sad, you know what I'm hearing. And uh, that what that this market makes bad agents, right? Because that's what's happening. Is agents are just like going around making offers left, right, and center. I'm getting desperate calls from people right now. Agents calling me saying, "My buyers have made five offers. We're tired. It's so hard. Help us. Help me out. So stressed. <laughs> Tell me what the price is gonna be and all that kind of stuff." And I'm like, "I hear you. Like I'm on the same." path as you are with my buyers it's not are people trying to bribe you guys the listing agents or are you guys getting like uh hey like off the record can you of course something for me you do start to see the phenomena more and more of um of buyers trying to approach the listing agent to get insider info or some sort of competitive advantage like i think and this is like what's really 2017 ish from my perspective right as you start to see a lot more of that happening um at least, I don't know if you're seeing the same thing, TK. Hundred percent. No, yeah, that that that's exactly what happens. Um, and 2017 is is when the coming soon sign became the norm. Right? Coming soon, yeah. That's how you get the buyers to reach Available. out to you directly. Put up the scene. Put up the sign three months early, so yeah. that everyone just starts calling you, and then you'll have all the buyers in the neighborhood, right? Listen, you would think logically, and and I've been on this side of the equation where where you think that allowing the listing agent to double end it will have a benefit to you as the buyer. But most of them are just arrogant, stupid assholes and they don't, they don't care. Like it doesn't make a difference to them. So you're, you're better off bringing your own agent that will actually maybe negotiate something in the deal to your benefit. It's not only price, right? And it's not even just that, like a lot of people forget that by the, you know, when there's a sign on somebody's lawn, that agent has a fiduciary duty with the listing agent, or with the, sorry, with the seller, the listing agent has a fiduciary duty to the seller at the beginning of the relationship. And sure. Yeah. You can convert that to a multiple representation scenario, but they didn't know you before you picked up the phone and called them for, because of a coming soon sign. So they, they, prior to your arrival, they had a duty to represent the best interest of the seller. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and, and sure it could be, argued, it could be their cousin. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's like, I've, I've always found the whole phenomenon interesting because people, and especially getting into multiple offers and stuff, right. It's like somebody will approach at when there's 40 offers on the table and be like, yeah, I saw it with so-and-so, but I'm going to offer through you. And, you know, because you're going to give me a, a deal, you're going to reduce the commission and, and make sure I win this thing. Cause you have some insider information. You're like, absolutely no way that I am signing up to expose myself to a lawsuit for the type of person that you are, because that's like, right. exact, it, it naturally selects for the type of person who's likely to sue you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the, this is, these are the conversations that more and more agents are having, you know, internally, because like when you get into a market like this, when you have that exuberance, you start to get this frenzy, this FOMO, this like people uh. just, craziest behavior. So much. You need an edge. You need an edge or you're, you're fucked out there. I'm telling you. I don't know if you've ever needed to buy a house, right? Like, and then add to it, you know, you'd think that if you needed to buy a house, you would at least feel some comfort in the fact that if it doesn't work out, you can rent something. But that's not even really the case because the rental market is tight as hell, expensive as hell, and anything good goes quicker than a, a, a house for sale. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to change either. Right. Like, no, it's getting worse. As, cap as capital costs increases, like I think rents have kind of, they kind of hit a ceiling recently. And, and I mean, you, you got to imagine that the majority of pre-construction supply, like we're building at record rates right now. Right. So the majority of pre-construction supply does hit the rental market. It's not end user product. So, you know, you start to see big subdivisions come online and, and 
you know, everything's for lease, right? So I think rents won't accelerate as much as they did, you know, when COVID first started, because that was the easiest way for somebody wanted to get the hell out of the city and get a backyard. They could just go pay a lease for, you know, for the, for a year or two, you know, pay, you know, 30, 40 grand, whatever, and, and get a nice big house in the burbs. Um, but, but now, like, I think that, that, that excess demand for rentals subsided a little bit. Um, but I think as capital costs starts to increase, those rentals start climbing a little bit as well. Cause you'll start to see more and more people exiting be- just because interest rates are going up. Right. Or, or because recession is getting or people. What about the f- formula too will change, right? Where investors, you know, they, as they took less and less cash flow with condo markets to eventually being negative cash flow to that, just being a part of their strategy and basing it all on appreciation. You'll start seeing that in the freehold and, um, other markets like that too. And outside of the city. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that's, a, that's like the Canadian way, right? Like, I think that the, if the government had their way based on, on their current policy decisions, that would probably be the way that they wanted things to go. Like they want, I think that the mechanism of having houses accelerating in value, right? So you're like encoding your inflation into assets and distributing wealth that way. And then it, you know, the investor who holds that is actually cash flow negative in most cases, right? Like unless you're getting multifamily products. So it, it takes a minimum of a duplex, I would say, in the GTA right now to be cash flow positive at your average loan to value, let's say 80% Definitely, loan to value. If you're lucky, yeah. If you're lucky, yeah. Right. So it, it so now you have investors buying product that's going up in value because of you know monetary policy or whatever. They're losing money and they're because they're providing what we, we would call affordable housing, which and I would I would agree with that. Like, you know, if you're renting a, a super luxury, you know, 4000 square foot house for thirty five hundred bucks, like that's affordable for that product, because if you were to own that product, it's going to cost you six grand a month in mortgage payments and you're going to have to have, you know, 500K to put down or 300K to put down. Right. So you're socializing through this mechanism, the cost of affordable housing by basically giving the, the owners the benefit of capital appreciation, which is really just a, a, you know, a wealth, you can call it wealth hoarding or capital hoarding mechanism and moving that down in, you know, where they lose money, they're paying this opportunity cost today, but they're actually deferring it to a future gain. Right. So it's almost like a forced savings vehicle and, and they get the benefit they're of putting the bill. Exactly. So it's, it's really, a, it's a, it, it's economically socializing the cost of affordable housing. Right. Well, and then if 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 you if you look at this generation that's refinancing now to help their kids get into the market, on top of that, it's helping kind of that mechanism as well, right? And just keeping it moving. You're, and pre- you're you're giving the government a lot of credit, though. Like it makes sense, and I hear you, and I and I and I can see that that's exactly what is happening. Um, but to, for for them to be this calculated, we're right. giving them a lot of credit, right? I don't think that I don't think that it would have been calculated on the way in, but I think mm-hmm. that it being a, a byproduct of, of the mess that they've created is is another necessity. Not, they're not in a hurry to fix it, right? Like yeah. okay, I agree. Yeah. They don't I see don't, they, don't, they, I, they see the downfall in, in in um in trying to have a correction and trying to get things back to where they're all affordable for everyone. They're right. saying, Well, this is what we're gonna lose on the back end if that happens. Yeah. And that's a much bigger risk for us. Right. Well, the, the, the challenge is like right now it's all paper gains, right? So you've created so much wealth in the Canadian economy and they, and, and actually foreign direct investment buying those paper gains off of Canadians, let's say that where those gains are owned in Canada. And if a foreign investor comes in, that's a great way for the government to actually come up with capital that brings capital into Canada. So that's actually economically expansive, right? That grows the Canadian economy. Uh-huh. You know, you get it. Let's say, you know, everybody likes to villainize the Chinese investor. Chinese investor comes in, buys a house off of Joe Canada, who just made a, a million dollars yeah. in gains. And now that's a million bucks that's in the Canadian economy, circulating in the Canadian economy. Maybe Joe Canada is going to go down to, you know, the Caribbean and, and ball out a little bit and spend 25 grand down there. But he's still got, you know, nine and three quarter million laying around that is going to likely be circulating in the Canadian economy. Um, erasing those gains right overnight it creates a little bit of a problem for the you know like right now most of these gains haven't been realized so you know you think of let's say like you know i think it's eight percent of the housing stock traded hands in the past three years or something like that right i, I don't maybe that's that figure is even wrong what well, did you say eight percent of the housing stock it's usually close to two so for three years a little bit higher yeah that makes sense yeah. 
Yeah. So let's, let's say eight or even 10%, right? So that that's within that 10% is where the risk exposure exists. If you see something like a 50% correction, right. Where there's actual exchange of money, but everything else is just paper gains. But if you erase those, then the government gets rid of their ability to actually create wealth because eventually somebody else has to come in and buy that product. And it's either using Canadian debt, which is, you know, from the central bank through your chartered banks, or it's foreign capital. And either way, I don't think they have a problem with that, like that mechanism either, right? They don't yeah. seem to. I mean, if behavior were any indication and if the policies, you know, were any indication that they cared about that, I think uh, things would be a little different, no? Well, this is a great segue into the uh, the Ontario Task Force report. Yeah. Yeah, I watched your YouTube video. I got a little, you know, summary. I think that that was a pretty, you know, detailed summary, as much detail that needs to be put into it uh, right. for now, because it is just a lot of wishy-washy promises and, and things that don't really have uh, much weight. I got a call from somebody yesterday who was saying, oh, you know, I got an agent and we're just about the list, but now I just heard about this plan and my property is going to be worth more and all this kind of stuff. Like, so it is, <laughs> it is having the effect, right. Of like, you know, yeah. the, the, the public is hearing it and they're thinking, well, oh, the Affordable. government's going to cut the red tape and I'm going to build. She literally thought like it went from townhouses or single family homes on her lot to townhouses to now she's like 10 stories. So it's going to happen. Tower on her 50 by 150 lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just right. go up. Go, go, go and buy some courts in Curtis, the whole court. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, or yeah, I mean, if they're going to eliminate that much red tape, you might as well just be buying, uh, you know, swampland in, uh, in the middle of nowhere for, you know, for 25 grand. Uh, like, yeah. So give us a breakdown Fosh, on the, uh, the promises that they made. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of supply side stuff, uh, you know, zoning. So basically, I mean, they're kind of, they want to take the keys away from the municipalities. And I think that in a lot of cases, that's the right move. Um, I think that if you can expedite zoning, you're going to eliminate probably the biggest bottleneck in the supply chain. But I, the challenge is you, all you do is move that, that bottleneck to the next one, which is construction. And then I won't, I won't get into examining it too much, but just so, so zoning, they want to give more power to the OMB. Basically they want to find people for taking, or there's a, there's an application charge for, so if you're a NIMBY, you basically can't go to go take somebody to the OMB, which is good. That's a really good thing. Like an individual shouldn't be able to go and waste, you know, provincial or municipal resources cost, like it costs everyone a quarter million dollars probably for somebody to go to the, to the OMB. Right. So if you let NIMBYs just go and challenge developers, it's a, it's economically wasteful. That's a good one. Um, give more power to the OMB and then also change it so that the, the province has more of a say in how the zoning goes at a municipal level. Um, standardizing, like there's, you know, there's a lot of buzzwords in there. Then the next piece, and that's where if, if you do expedite that, that bottleneck, it'll move to the construction side. So the next piece is how do we get enough trades here to increase our building capacity? And that's basically one is target immigration to bring in more trades and two is train more trades domestically. Right. Um, both of which I think, you know, are, are great, but they, they take quite a bit to ramp up. I mean, immigration would probably be the easy way to do it. Um, but, but maybe not the politically, like politically easy way to do it. Maybe not the election winning way to do it. Um, the double-edged you know, sword, the immigration too, because it creates a, a bigger demand for, for shelter, for right? Yeah, and inflationary stuff too, right? You start building more, all of a sudden now the cost of goods and labor and everything goes up. So we've got yeah. twice twice as many people, but it costs double to hire them, right? Because we need them. Right, so yeah, and, and I guess this is the challenge, right? Because that's the big argument. People are like, oh, you immigrate a bunch of tradespeople, they still need a place to live. And it's like, well, not if you were going to immigrate 400,000 people anyway, and now you immigrate 400,000 trades, tradespeople, like now all of a sudden you've, you know, you've increased the productivity towards the solution of that 400,000 trades or 400,000 immigrants. Um, Cause I, I don't know if you guys were listening on the, the Twitter space last week. I know Daryl, I know you were there. I didn't know if you were TK, but um, you know, to hear mentioned that there was the, the economic productivity of immigrants is actually declining in Canada. So, and not that, that like, you know, GDP, that basically just means GDP per capita is going down in Canada. But um, I, I think that, you know, the idea would be that you want people who are productive to building the economy that we're trying to build here in, in Canada. And right now, I think the biggest problem that we have to solve is, is housing, right? I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that at a, at a provincial or federal level. So when you that, say housing, what do you mean? Building houses, right? So building houses on the supply side. I'm going to play the devil's advocate today with you too, okay? Because yeah. in the 
in the 80s. And I think I, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't I'm not on the Twitter, but I've seen some Twitter like screenshots on Instagram. Yeah. Right. And in the 80s, this is the same problem that we had. Right. Supply issue, immigration, too many you know, people. We don't have enough houses. We need to build more. That's what's going to create us a balance in the market. And then when the market changed, all of a sudden it was like we had too many houses because there was just so much speculation. Now they've just also released reports that says we've been building faster in Ontario than our population has been growing, right? Yeah, so, and that one's that that one's like a little bit of a like that, that a data reach, no? Yeah. It, it, is it a, so do a we need more people. housing or is it just so. need to be a, a, a another fix? Is there is there too much demand? Like what is it? Is it simply just building more houses? And are this we will... questioning math now? Like, I'm just saying this is the, this is the devil's advocate. Behind. So Daryl's opinion doesn't get uh you know pushed through. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so my perspective is on that, and it's, it's a really interesting question, right? I, I think that stats can data, you know, is, is very easily manipulated. So I don't know whether or not we're actually outbuilding population growth right now. Um, but what I <laughs> that do That was Canada-wide, though. Uh, yeah, you're right. It was. It was. And, and no, so they, have, they had an Ontario stat in there, too. It was in the same article. You talking about the Ontario one, too. One? Yeah. yeah, they had the Canadian national, they had the national, which was like, 0.2, 0. 0.4% higher construction over population growth. And it was around the same figure in Ontario. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think that what's happening right now, and like one of the things that, that, that wasn't really discussed was whether, or, or the difference in household size in the GTA as an example, ah. is an organic population growth. But like, I think that what you're seeing is an averaging out where, and, and so like, let's say your average household size change, it could change up or it could change down. But I think what's happening with, with the way that we're building housing right now, and there's honestly no way for me to verify this without hundreds of thousands of dollars in research budget, but you have tiny, tiny, tiny condos and massive, massive, massive houses, right? And again, people always talk about this missing metal product, but, and, and, and whether it's a zoning density or whatever, but there's really no, you know, like you're seeing, Stack towns probably too small for a, a you know a, a household greater than what your what average one point six people or whatever so or one point six kids you know so you're starting to see and, and you're starting to see multi generational households builders are building like if you go look at any house right now that's built that's a four bedroom home they're built with full uh, electrical circuits per bedroom right so or sorry full full circuits uh, like all your electricals on its own on the outlets. Then your own lighting switches, or and then there's Jack and Joe bathroom or ensuite per bedroom. They're basically built to be rooming houses. Like you have like a bedroom that's a hotel room almost. And if you tour some of these, because I've sold a lot of these, like rooming houses, let's say, right, where you know guys have mini fridges and hot plates in every bedroom, and and they're basically living in these bedrooms. And then there's a congregating space in the in the in the main floor. And sometimes it's fam multifamily. Sometimes it's just uh, investors basically creating density and renting out for 750 to a thousand bucks a bedroom, which is super common, like really, really way more common than most people imagine. Um, and so I think that your, your household, I, I, I can't remember the exact amount that it changed by comparison to, to the, I guess it was 2011 census last time. Um, but, or six, I remember sorry, looking at that, but it was but, significant. Yeah, I think it, I don't know, like, I think it was, it, it, it varies based on the area, but it, your suburb, suburban households are growing and urban households are, are shrinking. Obviously that makes sense. Like you could, anyone would probably have guessed that that was going to happen. But I think that if you average that out over a national basis, it's losing a big part of the story, which is that you're probably starting to see multifamily households, especially in, in immigration populations where, you know, you're seeing family sponsorship, people coming here without jobs getting, you know, getting jobs, needing a place, uh, you know, to rest their head while they're starting their career here in Canada, right? Like, uh, you're missing the bootstrapping that's happening in, in the suburbs, because the, the household size is being skewed down by these tiny, you know, 500 square foot, or 350 square foot units that are being built in the city. You should uh, track how many bedrooms are being created. Right. And I don't know if they do that on a supply side, a number of beds. Right. I but I, I would so. agree with you. Like, I, I'm sure municipalities, some municipalities that are good at tracking the data of their construction. But yeah, it's like maybe not house housing starts, but maybe bed starts or bed. Right. You know, yeah. didn't, didn't you say, though, that was what Ben was tracking, tracking before, Daryl, and that that was a significant uh, point that he had made one point. Remember, he said that uh, 
I think they I'm were, sure like, I the didn't average come number up of with bedroom. that. So yeah, the average number of bedrooms is way down, and and that makes sense, right? Like they were always building detached houses in the '80s, and all of a right. sudden now we've got bachelor units dragging that number down, right? Yeah, that sounds like something Ben Myers would say for sure. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, you're building studios and ones, and then like you're trying desperately to have less than like 10% three bedrooms if you're putting in a development application because you make less money off of those, right? right. So those are cool. shrinking, two beds are shrinking. And, you know, what makes money is those studios and, and one beds or one bed plus dens. Yeah. But just catch me up here because I'm, I'm a little slow here. So what the, the shrinking of the bedroom, um, the number of bedrooms per, you know, new uh, construction unit, that's affecting supply. How? Like it's because we only have so many people. Well, you're that saying need to be you're in building so many homes in a year, but a lot of them barely fit one human. Okay. Right. And so right? it discourages. It almost discourages like new household creation, or it or it breaks the economics. I guess like you're creating a floor, right? Where? Or, sorry, it, it would discourage like new household formation in an urban setting, right? Because like you, you're they're so small that it's difficult for two people to to cohabitate in a unit of that size as an example right let alone grow a family and yeah. i think that there's obviously probably a correlation with that with uh with covid right like you know right now working from home etc like that's definitely changed in the short term and maybe in the fullness of time um what the housing demands are a little bit sure especially outside of the city it's crazy right, right? i don't like when we used to talk about this in the beginning of covid we were always saying to ourselves oh i feel so bad for the people in Peterborough or even Georgina or Innisfil or whatever. It's like those markets are going to tank afterwards. And I don't see that happening anymore. I think people legitimately are going to live there and be able to work there and stay there. They don't need to, most of them don't need to move back to Toronto. Okay. It's listen, the new way it is in the last two to three weeks, we've had Georgetown, Brampton and Scarborough all at a thousand bucks plus a foot for new condominiums. Right. But look at, look at the, like Brampton, Georgetown, Scarborough, thousand bucks a foot. It's, it's like insanity. Right. How so are those is, three even like comparable? I mean, they're not, but there's some, there's a buyer out there willing to pay, right? Can't make money are, unless are you gonna... sell for a thousand bucks a foot is what it tells you. Right. You, you but can, as the investor, as a... the rent, the rent price is not going to be like, at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, I either lose $500 a month or I lose $650 a month. You're, you're just trying to get that appreciation and you're, and you're banking on that market because there isn't really any other options and construction costs. The next condo that's going up is going to be the one, a military trail that sold out Daryl uh, or the, the phase that sold out. The next one's coming out at 1100. Right. Yeah. So like that's in Scarborough. So no matter what, it's always going to be just the next level is there. And that's what investors are, are buying into. Right. You can't do that, though, if you make housing that people can live in. You can't have two plus dens for a thousand bucks a foot at the moment in Brampton. You can have a studio or a one bedroom, right? Yeah, but but a lot of younger people, where do they live? Like, unless you've got a really good job, family help, if you're under 30, how are you planning on getting into the housing market other than renting? Like, what are you doing? Like, where, where, where are you going? What are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to move with your new entry level job. And you're going to say, thank you so much, Mr. Bay street. I want to, I want to work here. And, and I'm, and I'm willing to, you know, really work hard to be a member of your staff, by the way, I'm going to work from home and I'm living in Barry, you know, is that okay with you? They're going to say, absolutely not. So they're going to say, okay, where can I drive from? And they're going to be in the core. And, and then the next guys can go into Etobicoke and Scarborough. And then the next guys will say, well, I guess I'll commute from Scarborough, Brampton or Georgetown. So we'll continue to push. There is a demand for that housing for the small, space right. housing it's gonna it's gonna stay right people are changing millennials are having less kids well as, yeah and but the, and that is the the millennials having less kids is a byproduct of housing like this is the problem right it's a vicious cycle like it's too expensive to have kids not the millennials don't want to it's just they can't right like many people can't afford to do it right like, it's not and it's not the diapers it's the housing right it's housing child care i mean I, I did a podcast early COVID with francis donald about uh, the economics of, you know, and it, was, it was really more about diversifying the Canadian economy, but it was about the economic, a, a lot of what she was talking about was the economics of millennials and how we're going to contribute to population growth and economic expansion in the fullness of time. And the reality was that 
you know, this is, we've really set the stage to lose a decade like Japan, right? Because we have, you know, we have an entire generation of people coming up who are going to be house poor. They're going to be so busy paying mortgages, right? But you also have inflationary costs on everything else and wages just aren't keeping up, right? Sure. Yeah. You've got, you know, a huge uh, chunk of the workforce retiring with boomers, you know, within the next decade, let's say, but that doesn't change that. But and, and in a lot of cases, those jobs aren't going to be given or the salaries certainly aren't going to be given to millennials without question. Right. And so the economics of, of life for millennials is it's not really conducive to growing the Canadian economy. So the question is, how do you grow the Canadian economy from here out? Because otherwise, like eventually the music stops here uh, right now, I would say it's arguable that 100 percent of the gains moving forward and perhaps even within the last little bit are because of inflation that's it right it's not even like genuine excess demand anymore right but it's arguable that inflation is causing this because a lot of people are saying and inflation is probably tracking at 20 percent in canada yeah you can lie about cpi all you want but you know i mean on the ground inflation and there's been you know some like obviously your anecdotal studies on it but there's been studies that would sort of state that yeah like i mean it's it's high so the i don't i don't I really don't know. I'm not qualified to answer the question, but I don't, I don't see how this ends well. Like you're just going to keep kicking the can down the road. You're probably going to get a conservative government next just because the liberals have completely destroyed their reputation, I think. And, and we'll likely be in a recession at the, at the next election. So, so then what do we reach some point of, of self-imposed or government imposed austerity in, in Canada where that's how things start winding down? Motivate people to have kids, right? Like how, how do you, do you take do how do you take maternity and paternity leave when you sign up, you know, at these, uh, you know, total debt service ratios that people are signing up for right now? How do you how do you say to yourself, I'm going to take a year off? My sister, uh, she's probably listening to the show, you know, her and her partner are police officers make good income, you know, at the end of that one year, Matt, it's like and they, they bought a they bought a house uh, recently. It's like get back to work. Like, let's go. You know, not very easy to be motivated to 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 stay home. Right. You don't have that option to stay home. You have to go. And you have to right. be, you know, you have to be willing. So yeah, how do they motivate people to have more children, right? I don't know. I don't, and I don't know if they do, right? So that means that our economy is probably not going to have a natural growth anymore. I mean, our, yeah. our, our growth has been majority immigration anyway, and there's really nothing wrong with that, but it's, it, it only works for so long. You know, somebody was saying yeah. in the Twitter space, like immigration isn't a forever opportunity, right? Eventually, the, like the global population is going to start declining. So yeah. everyone's like squeezing as many people as you can now, get the economic yeah. benefit from it and figure out the remainder of the economy later. And maybe that's the way to do it, right? People, if there are people here, and you say 50 or 60% of the economy is the consumer, right? Consumer goods, everybody just moving money around. Maybe that is the, the right way to do things, you know, for, for Canada, because the natural growth rate isn't going to do it. And the way that we've built our economy doesn't incentivize people to, to continue to have kids, right? I, I think things are going to change in the next decade with regards to labor and work so drastically that we, we have no idea what's even coming for us. I mean, Look, look what's going on right now. We've got this trucker thing going on. But uh, I would bet that most of them will not have work in the next 10 years. Right? Yeah, like they're, especially they're, funny that, that Elon tweeted out, like, Canadian truckers rule, right? It's like well, Rule while he's wiping them out, right? <laughs> that's, that's a lot further away. I was, I was having to talk to somebody who's in that field, and they, <laughs> they even say they're, they're short tens of thousands of truck drivers over the next 10 or 15 years. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. automation of trucking is not coming anytime soon completely. No, yeah, still I, mean, I think you could still live out a full like 20 year career as a trucker. Yes, you yeah. can. I, I think, I do think that people overestimate the, the speed, like you gotta remember that it's the same people who are checking boxes on zoning, Daryl, that, that are the ones who are checking boxes on automated driving. Right. So it's like, you know, you think you think that houses are wrapped in bureaucracy. Imagine, imagine, uh, you know, a six six thousand pound uh, steel missile that's driving itself. Electric <laughs> too, right? Electric yeah. cross border. Yeah, yeah. Nobody so, lobbying against that. What could yeah. go wrong? Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. far away, but I, I agree. I mean, the thoughts the thoughts are there, and and there's no one answer. There's no there's no paintbrush that just kind of clears up this whole mess. But then the other question is, and this is a great. I love this question. Is do do we even have a problem? Or is this just the way that it needs to be and that it was going to go no matter, we just sped it up a little bit because of the pandemic. If you I, own I, a I, home, there's no problem here. I think that we, <laughs> we're, we're, we're very early, or sorry, we're coming to a late cycle housing economy. We're, we're where, you know, Germany was in the sixties, right? 
where everybody's rushing in. We're the place in the world where everybody wants to be. We've got the best freedom. We've got the best land registry. We've got the worst weather, but somehow people still convince themselves that it's a good idea to move here. Um, you know, I, I think that we're just, we, we aren't acknowledging where we are in our, in our geographical role or global role as, as a housing cycle, right? I mean, you're going to see the same thing happen in Africa in 30 years, as long as the entire continent doesn't desertify as a result of climate change, right? Like some African cities are, are predicted to 10x their population within two decades, right? Natural growth, because Africa is having so many babies. And that's an entire con continent that is not even on, I think you're like 10, no, 25% or something on the internet, right? As an example, you're gonna see billions of people get online in the next decade, right? India, Africa, like a lot of these impoverished places, you get, uh, you start getting Starlink. Like if, if Elon Musk's plan to bring, you know, global satellite internet network works. Yeah, it's fantastic. Right. Yeah. yeah, I just signed up for Starlink too. Cause I'm like, I'm on a farm here. I've got like the, the bell, like uh, modem on my roof, right? And so I'm going to get the full start, like when they're out of beta in November, uh, I think. But, um, but yeah, so I think that like, I agree, it's going to be very, very unrecognizable. And, 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 I, and I think that Canada's they're, they're doing it. We're doing the best job that we can and, you know, getting people here. And, and ultimately I think it's gonna, just going to, we're going to become a, an, a late cycle economy where you have high institutional ownership. And I think we talked about this on one of the podcasts that we did, maybe the first one, but high institutional ownership, you know, and, yep. and every, everybody, everybody, other than people who got in on the wealth cycle and that's what people are trying to do right now anybody who, who didn't do that is renting right yeah yeah and again daryl i understand if you own right now this is not a problem and if you don't own and you want to jump in i get it that that's an issue but if you look at the greater good of the population sure. is is creating how is creating a crash or a correction is lowering the price the cost of land today going to hurt us more than creating opportunities for people to build wealth. I, I think it's going to hurt us more. Yeah. If we take 20% of people's equity and wealth away from them, it just so that somebody who's younger and hasn't had an opportunity to build can get it in a lower price. That's going to cause much more long-term economic turmoil for those younger generation people than anything else. But can't we just let in like 200,000 people? <laughs> <laughs> the other question though is like is it because you get a hoarding of capital as a result of things like this right is the same thing happening in quality of life right like are boomers hoarding quality of life because they have all of this let's just say as an example like if you're to take strip out everything else in the quality of life equation and say it's just square footage right you have a boomer who's living in an empty nest a 3,000 square foot empty nest and, a, and their their kid maybe their own child owns a, a, or is living in a 200 square foot condo downtown smaller than their bedroom right that smaller than the bedroom that they have at their parents house right is does that create a completely broken economy in a in a, in a market where we're acknowledging that there's this massive scarcity of let's let's say housing is just a function of square footage as well right like i think when you start to see if we reach which i think we very well could i think we could be on the brink of like a los angeles level of, of disparity as a result of this k-shaped recovery that's happened right where you have like opulent wealth and extreme poverty right and then there's yeah there's people just trying to jump around in the middle right is that a good way to run an economy probably not is that conducive for the canadian dream we're trying to sell to most of the people who we want to immigrate here probably not right like i, I don't i don't know if that like i think that's the far extreme of where we end up but like you're seeing a dropping of quality of life and For a bunch sure. of people who have, let's say if quality of life is just square footage, people who have quality, that quality of life and aren't even using it, they're not even benefiting. Like, you know, like there's a, there's this, I think in the minimalism documentary, there's this, this really interesting study where they have, they like use like these, um, like call it like an Apple air tag or whatever to track where people use in their house. And it was like, people use like 30% of their house or something like that. Right. Like nobody uses the dining room as an example, right? They track them over like a year. And so it's like, do you need all of this space, right? No, I, I don't think. And that, that's where I think there's a, and there's a conversation going on on Twitter right now where it's like, why are we approving so many McMansions when like they're the same built form as a fourplex, right? You, like I could get, I could get a nice fourplex in a McMansion building envelope, a nice one, right? Yeah. I don't know. More, you could probably get a really nice six or eight plex in the same envelope, to be right, honest yeah, with you. Yeah, if you're building a 4,000 square foot McMansion and, you know, yeah, you can get a lot of units in there, especially if you're comparing them to these micro units that are that are being built downtown, right? And that's, yeah. but 
I think that when you talk about that mechanism of socializing the cost of housing, I honestly think that the, that the market is socializing density as well, right? By creating these multifamily households, rooming houses, et cetera. Like people are like, it's, it doesn't make any sense to go and try and get density the right way. So why don't we just do it the wrong way and make rooming houses, right? Yeah. Well, they're trying right. to fix that. So with this, with the whole uh, Ehon uh, initiative that's going to be coming into Toronto, so we can get we can turn a lot of these houses into uh, a higher density, which in the city that's where it belongs. Right. I just think to me, I'm just scared of government intervention. Anytime the government gets involved, all yeah. the policy, speculative taxes from the '70s, interest rates from the '80s. Uh, you know, policy like the foreign buyers tax in 2017, all these times that they've come in, it's always been to the detriment of people. And it's always been based off of trying to promise the the buyers out there who don't own real estate that we're going to make this better for you and that we're going to stop taking away the opportunity for you and this equal housing opportunity for people coming to Canada. And like, it just always seems to work the opposite direction. So I'm just kind of like anti-government policy in the in the open housing market. I think that it should be an open market. I think that there, there everything will always correct itself. The the rental market will will fix itself. The housing people are getting sick of it. Eventually people can't afford to pay those prices anymore and the and the greater fool will end up finding out that they made a, a poor decision and and speculation will leave and there'll be, you know, changes in perspective on where I need to live and how close I need to be to work and how much space I really need to have. But as soon as Imagine, the government gets involved, we, we lose, we lose a ton of, we, we lose years in our economy for development yeah. because well, of it. Imagine you're an immigrant that came in like two, three years ago and you've been renting in Brampton and you made your roots in Brampton Save, and you've payment. been saving a down payment. And now Brampton is like average $8 million. Like what the hell are you supposed to do? I just saw a sale, I think in Brampton for $2.5 million in a subdivision. Like maybe it was a big house in Brampton, but when the hell did Brampton get so hot? It's crazy. Right. Like imagine you're an immigrant, honestly, and you're, you came here to, to, to own a house and live this wonderful life. And now fuck, now I can't even live in Brampton anymore. Now I got to move to where? Bancroft, but Bancroft went 94% to the moon. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mess, right? Like I, th and that's, that's where I think that yes. you're going to run into some of the challenges, right? Where you've got, I think that as soon as it starts changing the, the economics of immigration here, when, and now you've got people who are going to show up and they're going to go get a mortgage and they're going to go look to see what they can buy. And they're going to be like, this is not what I signed up for. Like I, I, I'm not getting the quality of life that I, that I, I'm not getting the difference in quality of life between where I was before and where I'm coming to. Like the sales pitch is gone. Right. And maybe they'll move to and a that's most industry. right. I would the absolute majority. Like, yeah. you, and because we've we, like, you might as well move to another global city at that point. Right. Because yeah. like realistically, because you can get a better job, right? Like we're exporting, people in the tech field. Waterloo trains some of the best people in tech in, in the world, right? And they're all going to work for US companies, right? I mean, not all of them, but like it's like crazy percentage. Um, we don't have the ability to, to, to continue to retain, attract and retain good talent in Canada. And before it was like, yeah, okay, like I can live in Toronto and, you know, it's not LA or it's not, it's not the Bay Area. I don't get to be by the ocean and I don't get to go to you know, mammoth or to Vegas every weekend or whatever, but you know, it, it's, it's a nice place and there's a little crime and whatever. And, and the wages is, is, is okay. Now it's like, or it's like, I can afford a house in, in Toronto or Vancouver or whatever, or maybe now it's like, I might as well go to, to it. If the visa is more difficult, I'm just going to wait. I'm, or, you know, I'm no, I'm no, I'm willing. I'm, I have an increase in my willingness to, to, do the U.S. immigration process, right? And the way that a lot of people, or a lot, sorry, a lot of countries are trying to grow their economy as a result of COVID is through immigration. Like we're going to see a massive, massive competition on, yeah. a, on an international scale. Like the U.K. is ramping up immigration, right? All of the other nations in the Commonwealth are ramping up immigration as a result of, of COVID, trying to grow their economy, bring in more people, right? Uh, the U.S., if Biden has his way and the, the immigration policy that he's talking about, which I very, you know, I, I do really think that it'll get passed. Uh, you know, I mean, what what incentive like, you know, you, there's no way that Canada can rely any longer on on immigration growing our economy indefinitely. Right. Maybe if we're if we're 
it, it maybe if we're immigrating the trades, right? Because I think that it, trades get paid really well here, and it's, you could get skilled trades to come from other countries and pay them pretty damn well here, right? Well, and we're on the world stage right now. What what about what's going on in in the news in Canada right now? What kind of an effect is this going to have on people's decision to move here versus other countries? It is. That's an interesting point too, right? Like, because you're weighing in on what the social values are of different countries that would move here, right? And I don't know the answer to the question, right? Like, I, I'm not. I'm you know, admittedly ignorant when it comes to what those social values are by comparison to our biggest streams of immig- immigration let's say, you know, uh, probably I think it's China, Iran, Russia, now India too, right? So, you know, four countries that you could probably come up with some sort of social value scale. Are, are, we, are we providing them with what they want from a society to immigrate here? I don't know, right? But these I, are I think, I think, I think we're all ignorant in Canada because we feel like anybody coming here, it's because they had really poor quality of life where they lived. And we think right. it must have been in just shanties and, and living on the streets. And right. and that's not true. You no, know, like, there's I mean, much, much like the people come here. I hear more people complaining about the quality of life in Canada compared to back home than sure. I do people bragging about how right. great it is to be here. Like most people yeah. and in those countries, China, Iran, and India, that's a, Russia, that's a secular shift. Like, I don't think it didn't feel like that five to 10 years ago. Right. Like it felt different. People, there was a lot of gratitude for, you know, for the opportunity or for quality of life that Canada brought. I don't, I just don't know if it's, if it's here, that's not our selling uh, point. Unless it's from like a war torn country. You're, 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 they got it good over there. Like we're not, it's not like well, all these countries are poor. There's are, lots of wealth there. There's lots of modernization there. Their, their right. technologies are almost always better than Canada's. Right. Right. Yeah. It, go, it goes to that dream of quality of life and home ownership and freedom and all of that stuff that they, they, they are lacking. I mean, I look at people all the time and wonder, why the fuck would you leave your beautiful, lovely, warm country to come here? But I mean, you only move if you, if you think it's the best thing for you, right? There's family ties. There's, there's different opportunities. Sometimes parents, you know, are, are wanting their kids to be in certain countries like um, uh, Daniel was saying about our uh, land registry. So, you know, people do want to put their money here, which is another factor. Just like they might be unhappy living here. Right. But they understand, especially if they're the, the children of the, of the, of the parents uh, who own all the wealth, they may understand that, uh, you know, this is where they have to be because they're trying to protect themselves from whether it be, you know, communism in China or, you know, uh, whatever type of authoritative government Iran has and, and, and that kind of stuff. That's all part of their their sacrifices, I guess. But if you talk to them, they'll tell you, they'll say, look, at home, like I have friends from Iran. They tell me what they have in Iran. It's it's phenomenal. What they yeah, have. Like, I they was an, an amazing engineer. Life. I had, a, you know, <laughs> you know, 400 units. And yeah, now like I'm they have like villas that they live in and different things. And like here, it's like they're in an apartment. Uh, my license know, like, doesn't count comer. here. My my yeah. my 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 degrees don't count here. Yeah. It's that, fucking stupid. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's sad, right? Uh, but I do think that's where they're, you know, the trades could bring an advantage, right? Because there's really no regulation around like a good portion of the trades. Yeah. Plumbing, electrician, et cetera. But we're not having a hard time training domestic Canadians to, or, or incentivizing domestic Canadians to do those jobs. Right. Who the hell job. wants to do those jobs? I mean, we're a bunch of spoiled. No, th- like, those ones are those ones there. They have right. Like the plumbers, the electricians. Yeah. No, I'm the not ones. saying they don't have them and I'm sure they're all willing to do them. But locals, I mean, how many friends do you have that are slugging concrete all day this is the funny part around like the anti-immigration sentiment among domestic canadians that i found like is really interesting right because i think that you're starting to see like a forfeiture of a lot of it because and it's the same thing that you've seen in the u.s for years right people are always like oh they're taking our jobs and this and that it's like well that's because they are they can economize better than you they can (laughs) they can do they're willing to do the work for less money or they're willing to do the job better right it's very simple like an employer is not just going to firms exist to make profit it's a basic assumption of economics so if they can do that, a better, if somebody can do your job better then they're the, the same job yeah. to get the opportunity to do it. Right. And yeah. you're seeing an erosion of the protection mechanisms around these Canadian jobs. Like, nope, you know, people aren't replacing union positions with union positions now in, in, in a lot of these, because, because why, right? Like when, and this is the, this is what makes an, uh, an economy productive. Yeah. Or a GDP per capita might be declining on a dollar basis, but is the productivity per capita increasing? And it, it's, I don't think it is right now, but I think COVID Empty. might have some. Yeah. But well, wouldn't so, technology have something to do with it too? 
Yeah. Or would that it. increase our would that increase our productivity per capita? It should, right? It should increase the the like well productive. It depends, right? Because the, the dollar output output. But that but outputs measured in dollars, not like in widgets, right, or in units. So you can't really measure that one properly because right. it's like if you're set because technology is deflationary, right? It should reduce the cost of something. Like if you're if you're producing something and a robot's producing the other half of it, then the cost of that thing should go down, right? So if and if Canada's selling that item, then it's hard to measure whether or not it's actually being what, one guy's doing more work overall, but it puts three guys out of work completely. Right. right. Yeah. So, stuff like that. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I, I'm going to have to wrap up here, but, uh, okay. but this, thanks this for coming. Cool, this is a really cool chat. Yeah. Uh, great conversation. Yeah. We appreciate thanks it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, my yeah, pleasure. Just give a quick little plug here where people can find you. So, uh, well, hold on a second before shorter. he plugs it, I got to yeah. tell everybody he is running literally my favorite part of the week right now. This Twitter space. I swear. I keep telling TK to get on Twitter, but he's, yeah, he should, uh, he's a Twitter snob, but this, <laughs> I don't I'm even know what Twitter you, space is. I'll tell you straight up, like the, the only time I've ever been approached by like to go on the news or whatever is because of Twitter. Like, and I got, yeah, like, yeah. I got BNN Bloomberg globe, you know, Toronto yeah. star, everybody. which is, which is wonderful. But I think there's something bigger here. Okay. Because like a couple nights ago, we had a mayor, a ward counselor, the head city planner, like subsequent city planners, politicians on realtors, that. developers, like there were so many people having <laughs> a respectful, reasonable, open conversation. Nobody was like not allowed to speak. Like it was unbelievable. It was a forum that doesn't currently exist. And okay. I, I implore everybody to check that thing out. I don't know what, uh, how do you get to it? Hashtag just go to my Twitter. I typically have it as my pinned tweet. Um, and it's just like, wow. you can set a reminder for it. It's a Twitter space. And that's probably, I would recommend people reach out to me as well. Um, just, you know, like, yeah, so it's right there. So that, so I'll always have that as a pinned tweet on my, on my Twitter. Um, and you just set the reminder and, and show up, tune in at 7 PM. It's audio. So it's like super easy to follow along with. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know. I mean, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good conversations that happen there. I, I would say I'm probably the least qualified person on it. I'm just, you know, I just, I just, where you want to be. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would just say, you know, Google me and my Twitter will come up. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and then, and then just, that's where I would direct people right now. Cause that's, that's probably the, the greatest value I have to offer to anybody who, wants to listen to to what I have to say because I'm just I'm there just asking questions trying to learn from from other people right I think everybody is which is the beautiful thing I think everybody is in there with an open mind and yeah, given a voice yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's genuine super genuine to, like understand it's open-minded people just wanting to like understand the other side of the argument or you know really like get granular with the mechanics like I remember just some of the conversations that were happening between John and there's some really qualified people on the um on the planning space and, and john's like you know how how do you mechanize this thing you know, or like why does that that the economics of that make more sense you know and just talking about like i don't just really 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 granular are you on first name basis with the mayor got is, a, that, is that i got uh, a dm from the there? mayor after no, no, john pasalis but oh <laughs> I, I got a i got a dm from the mayor after did you actually i swear to god we started talking about I our old bands that we were in i'm not no even way. kidding Yes, yeah, right. God, we're we'll sending each other pictures of our old bands. Amazing. That yeah, is really right. cool. Yeah. yeah. So guess where I'm going to build next? That <laughs> 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 no, was really cool, though. It was like just it was so amazing. I love it. I look yeah. forward to it every single week. So thanks for that. That's amazing. Yeah, awesome. My pleasure. My pleasure. Really cool. Thursday thanks for joining night, us. 7 p.m. on Twitter. That's where I would recommend people find me. Thursdays at yeah. 7 p.m. Eastern time. We're very lucky to have a man of your stature. We'll on get our you show. back later in the year for sure. 100%. Yeah, for sure. Like whatever really? you guys need to guess, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I, I love doing this. You're, you're great to chat with, uh, about real estate with. So, well, man, thank awesome. you. Enjoy good your time. day and, and good luck today with everything. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Another day. We, we did it. Another we episode. Another we Sunday. Through. How many Sundays us. in a row has this been? I don't know, but I was on our uh, podcast stats and there was like 127 episodes on there, which yeah. we probably have less than that because some of them at the beginning were broken down when I was, you know, yeah. in my 
serious editing phase. Yeah, we bumped up though on the rankings. So if anybody's still listening and you have not left, because I know you haven't, because chances are if you're listening right now, you didn't leave us an Apple podcast review. Just go check it out. You Most like 50% of people have Spotify, I, anything. I, uh, iPhones. So you open up your, your podcast app and you type in Toronto Real Estate Show and then you click, I'm sure there's like a review button or something like that. Or maybe there's like a, a, a five stars and you click the, the five stars or maybe you want to click a, a one star. But either way, do a review. Like, Please. comment and subscribe. Thanks for joining us today. New on Curiosity Stream, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian. Tycoons are in many ways the lifeblood of society. They are willing to put everything out there. They're willing to lose everything. See how the super elite use their money and power to shape our lives on Tycoons. Plus, from Japan's unbreakable super code to the algorithm mining your Bitcoin, we're breaking down the world's most famous encryptions on cracking the code. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.